Good morning, church. It is such a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you again this morning. It is such a privilege to point you through God's word at the awesome God we serve and the God we worship is awesome. Amen. As a church, we have been going through two sermon series in parallel. One, of course, is Pastor Aaron, who has been leading us through a series on Ephesians. But if you remember, a few weeks ago, Josiah did an excellent job, a great job. He asked me to mention this a couple of times. Leading us through a big, at the beginning of a series on Jonah. He led us through Jonah chapter 1 a couple of, years, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so today we're going to continue in that series. If you would, would you turn with me to Jonah chapter 2? We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 2 this morning. When Josiah led us and introduced us to the book of Jonah, he talked about Jonah being a book that is drenched in God's grace. And it is. Even as it explores the tension between grace and justice, between love and punishment, between sin and forgiveness, what we see from beginning to end is God's grace shining through this book. And as he wrapped up his sermon, he mentioned the mercy that we can find in the midst of storms, how difficulty sometimes can point out disobedience in our lives and can be used by God in shaping our heart and our character. That is exactly where we are going to continue this morning. Church, we live in a fallen world. Amen? This world is fraught with evil. From sin and injustice and oppression to disease and calamity and death. Evil becomes, has become part of the fabric of our lives. And as a result of this, storms come, seasons that threaten to overwhelm us, threaten to drown us. Where do we look to for hope in the midst of storms? Where do we look to for anchor when life to over, threatens to overwhelm us? I remember clear as day a couple of a few years ago being sent to McMaster Hospital with a two-year-old who had a fever that wouldn't quit and being sat down at McMaster and told that our little girl had cancer and the bottom drops off our world as we go through what the next two years of chemo will look like. I remember just as clearly a few, few years later, having gone through that journey and thinking everything was well, returning to Africa, and then a routine blood test and a normal weeknight showing a relapse. And 30 hours later, being in an in a airplane with our then six-year-old on the way back to McMaster. That one was brutal. I uh, wasn't sure that I was going to make it. My poor wife wasn't sure that I was going to make it. And she spent many nights by my bedside as I slept on her knees, wrestling in prayer. But praise God, He is faithful, and He didn't give up on me. Some of you have suffered so much more. Through death and disease, through calamity, through betrayal, 
you have felt a sting of suffering. You have felt, you have gone through seasons where it feels like you are drowning. And when we are in the midst of such a season, church, where do we look to for hope? Maybe you're in the midst of such, such a season right now. If you haven't yet gone through one, chances are you will. Jesus calls that for us in John 16. When he tells us that in this world we will have trouble, we will have tribulation, we will have suffering. Christian, where do you look to for hope? In Jonah 2, we see suffering and we see trial, but we also see God's redemption, God's rescuing in such power. And what we see is there are lessons in this chapter that are invaluable for us as we live with the reality of suffering in this broken world. Lessons that would be invaluable for us to learn and internalize before the next storm comes. So our big idea today is that through every storm and trial, God is working His purposes in us. We can trust Him. We can hope in him through every storm and trial you face christian god is working his purposes in your life trust him hope in him if you're in jonah chapter 2 would you read with me we're going to start at the last verse of chapter 1 for continuity and read through chapter 2 and the lord anointed a great fish to swallow up jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O oh Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered Yahweh. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Sal salvation belongs to Yahweh. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. I love the book of Jonah, church. Not because of Jonah. Jonah is such a grump. But I suggest to you that Jonah is not the protagonist of the book of Jonah. He's a counterfoil to the true hero of Jonah, who is Yahweh. A God merciful and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, who relents from disaster. 
Yahweh is the hero from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation. Scripture is about Yahweh. The story of Adam and Eve is about Yahweh. The story of David and Goliath is about Yahweh. The story of Moses and the Exodus, the stories of the early church, they are all about the awesome God we worship, unfurling His awesome plan of salvation on behalf of His people. But some books, like Ruth, like Esther, like Second Chronicles, if you haven't read Second Chronicles lately, I urge you to read it. I love it. It's such a... It feeds my soul. Like Jonah. In books like these, we see the hand of Yahweh so clearly, it's impossible to miss. Behind everything is His sovereign hand. I love the book of Jonah. I've divided our message this morning into two main points. And our first point this morning, and we're going to look at this from verses 1 to 6, is that we can trust God's sovereign hand of grace. Nothing that happens to Jonah in this passage is random. Behind everything is a gracious and loving God orchestrating everything to fulfill His purposes. And it's the same today, and it's the same with us. God's grace drives this world, and we can trust God's sovereign hand of grace. Our first point this morning. Church, in chapter 1, Jonah is given a commission. He is told by Yahweh to go and preach in Nineveh. But he flees in the opposite direction. He books it. I suggest to you, though, that he is not just fleeing from this commission. What the text says in chapter 1 is that he is fleeing from the presence of Yahweh. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, God's people thought of God's presence as being localized, focused on the temple in Jerusalem. And so when Jonah gets, gets, runs away from, uh, from Jerusalem down to Joppa, when he runs into the ship, when he sails off into the ocean, he is running from Yahweh's presence. But what Jonah and the early readers of this book very quickly learn is that Yahweh is no localized deity. This is the God of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, and his power knows no bounds. And so as Jonah runs, Yahweh pursues. He pursues through the wind. He pursues through the storm. He pursues through a storm that gets worse and worse until the sailors are forced to throw Jonah overboard. And he pursues Jonah and follows him down to the bottom of the ocean until he gets Jonah to the place where he wants him to be. Behind everything is Yahweh's sovereign hand lovingly working his purposes. Nothing is random. We can look at this, the series of events, and think they're just random calamities. Yet what the text tells us is that there is nothing random happening here. God is in charge from first to last. God is sovereign. And he is working out his purposes in Jonah's life, in the life of Nineveh, the Ninevites, in history, through this one prophet who will not obey. God always works to fulfill his purposes. And Jonah realizes this. Do you see this in the text? Would you look at me with me at verse 3? For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Church, who threw Jonah overboard? It was the sailors. And jo at Jonah's own advising, 
But Jonah looks past the superficial toward what, to, to what is real, to what's really happening. Behind everything is Yahweh's sovereign hand fulfilling his purposes for his prophets. And I say to you, church, that God today is just as committed, just as determined to fulfilling his purposes for you and for me, for us as his church. Nothing that happens in our life is random. We see this from the beginning to the end of scripture. God doesn't work evil, but he will even allow evil, such as an innocent man being hung on a cross, for the fulfillment of his greater purposes. Now, church, we know what the purposes of Christ are for us. What the purposes of God in Christ are for us. God purposes to bless us by honing us, by molding us, by shaping us into the image of His Son. And through trials, through storms, through everything that happens, He is fulfilling that purpose. But sometimes, when we're in the middle of a storm, it's quite difficult to see this, isn't it? When all we can see is waves coming at us and we're trying to just keep our heads above water, who can keep sight of God's greater purposes? When your kid is diagnosed with cancer or your spouse is diagnosed with cancer, when someone you love is abruptly taken away, when you lose your job, when evil men conspire to, to attack you, when you feel the sting of relationships breaking down and you feel betrayal or misunderstanding or rejection or abandonment, who can keep their eyes on God's purposes when waves threaten to overwhelm us? When a worldwide pandemic turns our little lives upside down, it's so easy to be overwhelmed by the waves. Have you been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Feel weird there so often, we should collect the points. What kind of prizes do we get then? Church, when these things happen, the temptation to despair can be so powerful. The temptation to think that the suffering is random, that God up in heaven doesn't see or doesn't care, and that you are all alone going through this. Don't you believe this, Christian? Don't you believe these lies? What we see in Scripture from beginning to end is that there is a sovereign God who uses everything for our good and for His glory if we will cling to Him. He is loving and He is sovereign. And if He is both loving and sovereign, then we can trust Him. We may not see what he is doing. We may not understand what he is doing. We may feel overwhelmed by the waves that threaten to drown us. But we can cling to God and trust him. What we see in this text so clearly is that he has a purpose in the suffering. Now it's really important that we clarify something in this context. What we see in Jonah is that Jonah's suffering is a direct result of his sin. He's disobeying God, he's running away, and therefore the storm comes upon him. Sometimes, that may happen to us. An obvious example would be, if I murder someone, I get thrown in jail and my life gets turned upside down. There's consequences to our sin, and sometimes the consequences are very visible. 
There is always consequences to our sin, even when those consequences are not immediately visible. But our suffering is not always the result of our sin. In fact, often it might not be the result of our sin. I'm pretty sure my two-year-old didn't, my two-year-old didn't get cancer because of her great sinfulness. Because if that was how it worked, I should have gotten cancer a thousand times over. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking through Jerusalem, and they see a man who's been born blind. He's a grown man. But this is tragic in that society because there's nothing he can do that is useful in society. He sits on the roadside, and he is a beggar. And seeing the pain in his life, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, was it this man who sinned or his parents that he was born blind? Remember, this is from birth. But Christ quickly set them straight. His blindness had nothing to do with anyone's sin. But now his blindness was about to be used to show, show the glory of God. And then Jesus goes down and heals him. And all of Jerusalem sees this. Or think about Job. Job is a man who went through tremendous trials. If you haven't read the book of Job recently, I encourage it. It will help you so much. It helps me so much. Job is a man who underwent tremendous trials. He lost, he was very wealthy and lost all his wealth, like very suddenly. Then he lost all his children. Then he lost all his health. And it was so quick and it was so obviously the hand of God that well-meaning friends came to him and urged him to repent because there could be no reason for his suffering apart from his sin. And yet what we see in the text, what we see getting a behind-the-scenes peek at Job is that Job's suffering had nothing to do with Job's sin. There were things that were happening that Job had no clue of, that Job never got to see or understand. But by clinging to God and trusting in the midst of his suffering, Job's faith grew. Job got to see God in a way he had never seen God before. Job got to be an example of faith for countless generations of believers for thousands of years following. And God was glorified in Job's life. Church, sometimes our suffering will be a result of our sin. Very often, maybe most often, it won't be. And we might not understand. We might not see what God is doing in it. But there is a way to go through storms and there is a way to go through trials that will result in our sanctification and the growth of our faith and in God receiving the glory. Trust the sovereign hand of God in the midst of the storm. He is good and He is loving. We can trust Him. This is our first point this morning. But I feel that in these first six verses, we, we have a couple of subpoints that we should clarify. And the first of these subpoints, we see it just as clearly through these first six verses, is that God's grace is irresistible. Do you see that in Job's life? Job tries to flee, but through the storm and through the wind, through the water and through the fish, God pursues jo uh, Jonah, I'm sorry. Try as he might, God will not give up on him. He could have just left Jonah to his disobedience, right? But he doesn't. 
Jonah belongs to Yahweh, and Yahweh pursues his prophet and will not let him go until he gets Jonah to the point where he wants him to get to, the point at the bottom of the ocean where he comes to obedience. The same is true for you, Christian. If you belong to Yahweh, he is committed to bringing to completion the work that he has begun in you. This is his chesed. Remember that word Josiah introduced us to also a few weeks ago? The steadfast, covenant, unbreakable love and commitment of God to his people. You have to hork it at the beginning. Chesed. But his love, this steadfast love holds true and holds us no matter what the storms may bring. He is faithful. Is this as comforting for you as it is for me? You may be sitting here this morning under a weight of guilt. Maybe you're thinking of a sin that you're struggling with and how you blew it again. You've repented and you've confessed, but you don't yet have the victory. Child of God, take heart. As we heard last week in Ephesians 2, our salvation was not by anything that we did. It was of grace by faith. And so I say to you, your sanctification does not ultimately depend on you. God is committed to working in you what he desires. Your sanctification is also by God's grace through faith as you cling to him and continue in a long obedience toward him through your life. May this comfort you. If you're struggling this morning, may this comfort you as you continue to battle with a sin that so easily entangles you and me. God is committed to you. God loves you. And if you belong to him, he will not let you go. Praise God. Amen. His grace is irresistible is our first sub point this morning. And our second sub-point, also in these same six verses, is that sometimes, sometimes His grace is poured out on us as discipline. Sometimes God will allow us to go our way and see the consequences of our foolishness, of our stubbornness, of our disobedience. And this is grace. Do you see that in the life of Jonah? From the wind to the storm to the ocean, God pursued Jonah, but Jonah was bent on running. And so he runs down to Joppa, and he runs down to the ship, and he runs down to the bottom of the ship and falls asleep. And then he is thrown down into the water, and he sinks and sinks and sinks. And it's not until he hits rock bottom and he thinks he's going to die. Look at verse 5 and 6. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He's talking about Sheol. In, Hebrew, in the Hebrew mind, that was the land of the dead from whom nobody comes back. Those doors close forever. It isn't until he hits that point that he remembers Yahweh. And he turns around and he begs for mercy. And he calls for help. And sometimes God works that way in our lives. Sometimes he sets loving boundaries around us and we harden our hearts and we 
determined that we will not submit or we will not obey, and he lets us run. He never leaves us alone, but he lets us see for ourselves the consequences of disobedience. And that is his grace. Christians, maybe this morning you are struggling with a sin that you haven't confessed. Something you know God is not okay with, but you're trying to hide or dismiss or just not deal with it. God is committed to you. And in his love, he will do what it takes to get you to the place of obedience. Even if that means letting you go down to rock bottom. But it doesn't have to get that far. God is faithful and just. He is merciful and kind. He is forgiving. When we confess our sins, he forgives and he cleanses. Don't let it go that far. If we belong to Jesus, we cannot continue living in sin. He won't allow it because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. And that's never sin. And so we see through the first six verses of Jonah, two, that we can trust in Yahweh's sovereign grace. He works all things for our good and his glory if we will cling to him. That his grace is irresistible when he determines to love us and pursue us. Praise God, we cannot escape. He will not let us go. And that sometimes his grace is given to us in the form of discipline. And that is also out of love. And that is also out of grace. Praise God. Our second point this morning is found in verses 7 to 10. And the, and, and, and the title of our point is a call to hope in Yahweh's great salvation. Hope in Yahweh's great salvation. Church, all other hope fails. All other hope proves false. But this hope will never fail. This is a sure and steady anchor. Hope in Yahweh's great salvation. Would you read with me verses 7 to 10? When my life was fainting away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of chesed. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. And Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Christian, when waves overtake us, and we think we're sinking, when we're gasping for breath and don't know if we'll make it, it's natural, it's human tendency to, to grasp for anything that we think will keep us afloat. We look for life boys, we look for flotsam, we look for jetsam, anything that will stop us from drowning. We look for functional saviors, little sources of hope that we can control and use to fix the problem as we see it. And this is exactly the niche that idols filled in the Old Testament. Idols were little tangible, functional sources of hope. And when the big problems of that day, which were poverty or infertility or bad rains destroying crops 
or violent neighbors raiding. When the problems that got too big to handle arrived, when the waves came and the, and, and the winds rose, the people went to idols looking for hope. But as Jonah tells us, idols are a vain hope. Christian, where do you look to when waters rise? Where do you look to when the waves hit? Do you look to your bank account and the false security that finances can be? Do you look to relationships to help you feel better? Do you look to numb the pain with entertainment or substances that might distract us from what's going on as we try to ride out the storm? When that last storm hit us, we were in the hospital a lot for a few months. And so my wife and I would take turns being at the hospital and being at the Ronald McDonald House. And what I found myself doing is just as soon as I was off, as soon as I was at the Ronald McDonald House, I would run to Netflix and watch silly comedies and try to distance myself from the pain. And that was like trying to fix a broken bone with a Band-Aid or cancer with a Band-Aid. It did nothing of any use for me. What do our choices, what do our reactions tell us about where we put our hope? Jonah's cry at the climax of this chapter is the motif that runs from cover to cover in God's word. Salvation is Yahweh. Our God is a God who rescues. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is where we are called from beginning to end of Scripture, church, to put our hope. This is the hope that will not fail. Call on the name of the Lord. Hope in His salvation. This hope is sure. But practically, what does that look like for us today? I, I think it begins with reminding ourselves constantly and putting our hope in the gospel, the great gospel of God's gracious salvation to us. So let's begin by reminding ourselves of the gospel. This world is a mess. Amen? This is the testimony of our senses, and it is the testimony of Scripture. Evil and corruption abound, but it starts, and, and that's the beater, it starts in the human heart. Who can fix their own heart? The world God created was perfect, but from the beginning of mankind, we have sought our own way instead of God's perfect design. We have sought sin, and this led to a spiral downward that resulted in the mess we find ourselves in. But worse than this mess is that sin incurs for us a debt against God's holiness. Before a holy God, the consequence for sin is death. That's a consequence we can't afford to play, pay because we have one life. And so what do we do? We are helpless. But what Scripture tells us is that when we were helpless, God who loves so much, who cares, who is merciful and compassionate and abounding in steadfast love and chesed. My throat's getting sore now. God sent His Son, who lived a perfect life, 
and demonstrated God's love for us and then willingly laid that life down in our place as propitiation for our sin, as payment for the debt that we could never pay. This is the gospel. Amen? But there's more. Death could not contain him because he was the source of life. And so after three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish, he burst forth again and promises all who come to him in faith that if they turn away from their sins and make him the Lord and, and master of their lives, he will justify them. He will take away the shame and consequence of our sin and forgive us. We are forgiven because of Christ's sacrifice on our place. This is the gospel, amen? But there's yet more. It's glorious because what Christ also promises is that when he justifies us, when we come to him in faith, he makes us new. He gives us his spirit and changes us from the inside out. The hearts that are disobedient, the hearts that are stubborn, the hearts that are hard that we cannot change for ourselves. God's spirit changes for us and gives us hearts that are soft and hearts that yearn for him and hearts that can forgive and love. We are made new. Now this is a process I am so far from where I want to be. I'm so far from where I should be. But praise God, I'm so far from where I was. God's Spirit is real. And He brings about in us change that we could never bring about in ourselves. Most of you, many of you, maybe all of you are living this. Praise God. This is the gospel of God's great love. Amen? But there's more. This gospel is so glorious that what Christ promised is that one day the king who is a servant, the lion who is a lamb is coming back. And he is coming back in glory with all power and all authority. And then he sets every right to wrong, all the evil, all the mess, all the corruption, all the oppression will be righted. Every tear will be wiped away and everyone who lives by faith in him will get to live and enjoy him forever in a world restored as it was meant to be. This is the glorious gospel of God's great grace that he has been unfurling from Genesis to Revelation. This is the purpose of history. Amen? And it is glorious. And there is yet more as this is applied to each of our lives and goes forth to the ends of the earth, as we are going to see in Jonah 3. But church, this changes everything. If this is our hope, if this is where we hope, then this gives us perspective in the midst of storms, doesn't it? This is ballast that makes our ships untippable, unsinkable, uncapsizable in the midst of storms. No matter how horrible the storm, our hope is not in this world. Our hope cannot be touched. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. We are never alone. We are never forgotten. There is purpose in our trials. There is purpose even in the random evil 
or the evil that seems so random in this world. God is working and God will make all things new. He will set all things to right. We might not see the purpose in our storm yet. But we can trust and we can cling. If you're visiting with us here this morning and you don't know this great salvation. Or if you're listening from home and this is news to you. This is the best news you will ever hear. I urge you to consider Jesus his claims, and his promises in Scripture. Please reach out to anyone who is a member of this church. We would be glad to point you to Christ through Scripture. If you followed along with us this morning, you've seen that when Jonah thought he was farthest from God's presence, at the bottom of the ocean is as far as you can get from Mount Zion up high. He cries out to God, and God hears, and God rescues who would have ever th thought of a giant fish being used to rescue a drowning man? God apparently did. It doesn't matter how far you may think you are from God this morning. If you feel you're adrift in the ocean, if you feel you're in the midst of a storm, even if the storm is a storm of your own making, a result of your own sin, as Jonah's was, call out Yahweh answers. We serve a God who rescues. Salvation is Yahweh's. This is the message of Scripture. He saves. And when He saves, He gets the glory. And we get to worship, which is what we were made to do. I'm probably way over time here. Aaron is so gracious, but I feel really bad. I'm sorry. One last observation and then we are done. Would you look with me at verse 10? And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. The moment God's purpose in the trial was accomplished, the trial was done. God knows how to get us out of the bottom of the ocean and bring us safely back to land. But that takes surrendering to his purposes. That takes our relinquishing control softening our hearts and working with him in what he desires to accomplish in us. He's got this, Christian. Trust in him. There's a beautiful hymn that is such an encouragement to, to my heart. It's, it's in your bulletins this morning, the words to it. I, I encourage you to, to read them this afternoon when you go home. Meditate on them. Stick them on your fridge and keep thinking about them through this week. It models so beautifully for me this attitude of trust in the midst of pain when we don't understand and how sure our hope is and how confidently we can still trust. Thinking on hymns like this, thinking on texts like this helps us develop a theology of suffering, an understanding of why God allows suffering in our lives, which is vital for the long-term faithfulness of our walk. So how should we respond when trials come? Trust in Yahweh's sovereign grace. He's got this. He has a purpose. You are not alone. His grace is irresistible. Even 
when it comes in the form of discipline, it's done in love. And hope in Yahweh's great salvation, all other hopes disappoint, but not this. This is sure. Trials will pass when their purpose for them, when God's purpose for them is fulfilled. But until then, you are not alone. Cling to Him. We're going to finish with a few words from 2 Corinthians, beautiful words that Paul penned for us. So we do not lose heart, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, sorry. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're fleeting, they're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Through every storm and trial, God is working His purposes in our lives. Trust Him. Hope in Him. No one whose hope is in Yahweh will ever be put to shame. Praise God.